Welcome to the Naked Ambition podcast, where we speak with the people who are making an impact in tech, innovation, and leadership all around the world. I'm your host, Fiona Triaka. In this week's episode of the podcast, we get to speak with Trish McCluskey. Trish is the Pro Vice-Chancellor of Vic Uni in Melbourne. She is an award-winning educator and leader, and most importantly, she's one of the people who was instrumental in the creation of Victoria Uni's revolutionary block model. The block model has got a lot of attention for being the first of its kind here in Australia. And in this episode, Trish chats us through exactly how the team came up with this concept, designed it and launched it in a remarkably rapid period of time. We hope you enjoy. So welcome, Trish McCluskey, and thank you so much for joining us uh, on the Naked Innovation Show this morning. Lovely to be here, Fiona. Thank you for the opportunity. Yes. Well, we're super excited to have you on uh, to share your story, your career story, and also to hear about Vic Uni's very impressive block model. Um, I'm going to jump in actually with the first question, Trish. I'd love um, for you to share with our audience a little bit about yourself, um, your career journey, um, and how you found yourself in this role which you are currently in uh, as Interim Pro Vice-Chancellor at Victoria Uni. Okay, well, I have a long history in higher education, and prior to that, my first career was as a nurse. So I loved nursing and uh, I was working in um, the CAT team, crisis team for mental health and thought I can't do this for the rest of my life. So I um, did a management course at a local university and when I was there, having an accent I think had something to do with it, they asked me if I'd be interested in teaching. So we had done some presentations and they thought, you know, someone mentored me and said you'd be good at this. Of course I was absolutely mortified thinking why can't I do this, you know, because as an Irish Catholic, um, it was never expected that people like me would ever go to university. So I trotted off and did my hospital-based nursing program. And this was now putting me in a position where I was going to have to teach in a university. And that was quite a challenge for me. Anyway, got over that, started teaching nurses and loved it. And have taught a range of, so I, that was in New Zealand. So I emigrated from Belfast to New Zealand in you know, late 80s and um, started teaching after a couple of years in practice in, in mental health. And so I taught nurses, social workers, paramedics, a lot of health services. And then um, I moved to New, uh, Australia because my husband got transferred and I started working at Victoria University. And I, uh, again, was teaching and got into a more of a management role. And I chaired academic board for three years. Um, again, that was someone who can talk and can sort of hold things together. Of course, no problem for someone like me. <laughs> so, so that was a really positive experience because as chair of academic board, I got to sit on the university council. So I got a really good sense of what the, how the whole university worked. And when I finished that, I really didn't want to go back to teaching. I thought I'd done my dash and I had um, developed some strong leadership capabilities and uh, thought I need to put those into practice. So a position came up in the central learning and teaching support area, um, which um, I grabbed. I did that for a couple of years and that was supporting academics uh, to develop um, teaching capability, especially in the what was then a, a, a transformation more into a digital world. So supporting academics and how to actually um, upskill and perhaps use the affordances of digital technology in their teaching. 
I um, left Victoria University in 2013, I think it was, and did a tour of duty of some of the other universities. So I had a year at RMIT, and then I had two years at Deakin University as a senior lecturer in the Faculty of Health. So that was really good experience seeing how other universities are very much the same, but also quite unique and different in their own way. So then I've been back now at Victoria University since 2016. My heart and soul is at Victoria University. One of my sons was educated there and did a double degree and absolutely loved it. So I'm now back in a central role. I've been director of Connected Learning, which uh, again is a similar thing where the, my teams support academics in building capability and a, a strong focus on um, digital technology and innovation. So that's basically how I've ended up where I am. And with this transition now into this uh, new reality that we find ourselves in with COVID-19, um, they, they, we need some extra leadership. So they've created a, an interim pro-vice-chancellor learning and teaching role, um, which I have quite happily put my hand up and says, yes, I can do this. So that's where we are today. What a fantastic. And it's been a, it's been a, a dizzy ride. Yes. <laughs> What a fantastic story. I mean, it sounds like you've been putting your hand up like that all through your career. So that's, that is so impressive. Can I even, uh, just to dive in, before we even get into talking about uh, your experience through part of being part of the team who created the block model, is that correct? Yes, right, yes. That's fantastic. So tell us what your team are actually working on now. What have they got your team focused on now that we are in this COVID-19 environment? In developing the block model, which is students studying one unit at a time for a short mm. period of time. Mm. We have been so fortunate. And we, you know, I've just, a meeting I've just been in prior to this, where colleagues are talking to their colleagues in other universities. And it's almost like we've been set up so well to, to move into this space because our students are now studying one unit at a time, mm. as opposed to some of other students in other universities who are trying to juggle four units and have four, four Zoom meetings and four lectures so it's actually quite complex in trying to move into a new learning environment, as well as having all of that busyness and complexity around you. Mm -hmm. So our students are having to focus on one thing. These are the undergrad students, of course, postgrad's a different story. They're having to focus on one unit at a time and build relationships with a small group of students and an academic. Now, part of the building the blocks was that we had what we call the extended classroom. So all resources were put into an online space. So students could engage in before class, during class and after class activities that were both interactive and also short and engaging. Mm -hmm. So, so we've, we find, I just had a, a discussion this morning with um, the directors of learning and teaching at all of our colleges and everyone's going, this was quite easy. This is after week one, this is first week of block two and everyone's going there's no real issues there's a couple of things like you know we've discovered the concept of um zoom bombing you know or something i'm not sure if you've heard that term yet but we do have it's a bit like when you go to conferences people just on just, yeah. yeah but no people people external to the university yes. sending inappropriate content <laughs> into class so we're having to take it slowly in terms of setting up passwords and that sort of thing mm. How interesting. I mean, that that is a byproduct of what you have created here, that actually the transition into a completely unknown environment has been so much smoother. I'd love to actually take it back because there will be some people who are listening who maybe have heard about the block model. They might have read something about it. 
Um, I saw Tim Dodd from The Australian called it the most radical and comprehensive change any university in Australia has made in living memory to the way it teaches students. Um, there has been, you know, some pretty spectacular press around this and also we'll go into it in a moment, but um, some of the, the metrics really speak for themselves as well. Could you take us right back, Trish, to how did this actually come about? Where did this, where did the concept come from? And tell us a bit about that journey of how you actually were able to develop something that's, that, you know, is so revolutionary here in Australia. Well, there are 38 odd universities in Australia, um, an additional um, number of higher education providers. Um, and it's became quite a competitive marketplace. Now, uh, Victoria University was struggling. We were struggling to uh, retain our students. We were struggling to recruit students. And some of that was based on the demographic and the region in which Victoria University is located. So our core student body tend to be um, uh, non-traditional learners, you know, who've, who, um, what we we call them now is the new majority. So these are people who are career changer, changers, who've come from overseas, who've never studied before, who've never had the opportunity to study, or perhaps um, adults whose children have grown up and want to re-engage with education. We also had quite a low um, socioeconomic demographic being in the west of Melbourne, which is, is rapidly developing, developing, but the, the students who were coming to us often had other challenges with studying. So they may have been trying to hold down two jobs and have a family as well as coming to university. And to try and succeed without the educational or cultural capital to do that was quite a challenge. So running big lecture theatres with, you know, 200 students, where a student didn't have a sense of identity or belonging, was one of the key issues where students came tested it out and thought, oh, I can't do this, it's too much of a juggle, for example. So we had high attrition rates. Mm -hmm. And then the students who we did have very often had, um, didn't have great success, you know, especially in first year, because they were learning how to learn and we didn't have the infrastructure in place. So the university got itself into a position where we were not sustainable going forward. You know, we just, the, we were, we were um, on a burning platform and we were losing money and we needed to change how we do things. So we did, uh, we had um, meetings with our community. We had town hall meetings, brown bag lunches. We talked to all of our academics and our students and said, what can we change? What can we do differently? Um, and there had been a lot of um, prior research by people like Sally Kift and Chikorin Gamzin around what ensures success and learning gain for first year students. So we, our approach was very much about how do we change the experience of our first year students. We hadn't thought that we would go whole university block at that time. It was just how do we get our students into first year, give them a, a um, valuable and secure experience learning experience and then set them up to succeed in second and third year. So we uh, established a first year college because one of the other issues that we had, we had one of the most generous EBAs in Australia. So the, the amount of hours that academics would actually teach, you know, or were available to teach was difficult. So we needed to find a model. So the, the first year college was created. Mm. And in that college, we invited people to apply to work there who were 
passionate educators or had a you know really really passionate about students and that's not to say that other academics are not but some people prefer teaching and really love that in classroom engagement with students so we had a large number we were absolutely blown away we had a large number of academics uh, internal and external who applied for roles in the first year college and that set up a group that were starting off all together we're going to do something new so there was, there was the coalition of the willing and the enthusiasm, and we had quite a number of newly minted PhD students who had done quite a lot of tutorial and classroom teaching, um, who were fabulous because they had recent experience of being a student and working with young students. Mm -hmm. So all of that mix set us up for the first year college. However, we were still thinking, well, how do we change things from you know, the big lecture and tutorial model to something different? At that time, um, I was, I'm a big fan of social media, so I spend a lot of time on Twitter and watch a lot of and ed, uh, TED Talks and things like that. And I was watching a, a TED Talk uh, by a guy called Professor David Helfand from uh, Quest University. And he was talking about how they had changed, uh, they'd built a university based on the block model. And the block model is one unit at a time, small, inclusive, engaging, um, classes held by one academic who built strong relationships with students and encouraged students to build strong relationships from with each other because remembering that you just don't learn from the person at the front of the class there's so much that we all bring into a classroom that can support and help students to learn now at that time I had uh, two university students sitting on my couch with me who are my two sons so I commandeered the TV remote control and said, watch this, you know, interrupted the footy or something. <laughs> and both of them watched the video. It was only 20 minutes TED talk, but it was quite inspiring. And I thought there's something in this. My son who is studying architecture said, gee, mum, half my class wouldn't have dropped out if we'd been able to do that. So, you know, for architecture, which is quite intensive. Mm, and wow. my other son said, typical VU, they're going to do something like that after I leave because he was graduating that year. So both them really liked the concept. So anyway, we kept the conversations going and I showed this to a group of academics and, and support staff, uh, professional staff around the university in one of our planning meetings. And there was a ripple. There was a sense of, oh, that makes sense. So we went and pitched it to our senior executive team and said, you know, what do you think about this as a model? You know, we've got the new first year college, let's try something unique and different. So four of us jumped on a plane and went to the States and went to visit, uh, there are a number of universities in the States who are using this model and mostly small liberal arts colleges. So it was Colorado College and Quest University in um, Canada. Uh, there are a number of others that we've discovered since like the University of Montana Western and I can't remember the name of the other one. Um, mm. So we went to Colorado. It was fabulous. We had a week with them, sitting in in classes, talking to students, poking and prodding every aspect of this model, you know, looking in their cupboards, trying to think how they did it. And we were impressed. But what we were most impressed by was the students' enthusiasm. The students absolutely loved it. So then we went to Quest and we had a very similar experience. And we spoke to a number of students who had transferred from uh, some of the big Ivy League uh, universities on the East Coast and actually moved to Quest, which is a small university, you know, in Vancouver, uh, in Squamish, um, because 
this model works for them. They found the juggling multiple units overwhelming, big groups not getting to know people. So they found the, the, the connection and the sense of belonging really valuable. So we were excited, came back to VU and thought, how do we do this? Now, you know, any university is an ecology or an ecological ecosystem. So it's not just the curriculum. We had to think about enrollments. We had to think about reporting. We had to think about technology. We had to think about room bookings. We've got all of these lecture theaters and we were proposing to only offer small classes. So we, we got the, the, the VU community together and there was just this, at that moment in time, enthusiasm and uh, excitement, but this is different. Yeah, we can do this. And in reality, we've got nothing to lose. You know, so we were about to jump off a cliff so we could either fly or crash on the ground, but really we had nothing to lose. And I think that is a critical point in why it's been so successful for us because, you know, a lot of other colleagues have said from other universities have come to visit us at VU and said, why didn't you just pilot it with a small group? And in reality, we couldn't have afforded to do that because we would have been running parallel systems. You know, we would have been running traditional first year and block first year and other models. So we decided that all of first year would go to the block model. So my team then, the team of Connected Learning, we set up a group of um, uh, design teams and we took a design-based approach. And in those design teams, we had uh, a key academic who was the content expert or the, the subject matter expert. We had learning designers who were highly skilled and had worked across a number of universities. And they supported the design and the development, uh, especially the technology and some of the, the potential solutions that we could have to, to move away from lecturing. You know, what are some of the alternative things we can do? We also involved librarians who are a, a fantastic source of um, information and research on learning and teaching and content. Um, and the other group we had in there were students. So we run a really large, uh, students as staff network within the university and we pay our students to come and work with us and we fit their their work around their study but students are the dare i say service users they're the people who know what works and having students in those meetings when an academic came up with a great idea and a student would say if you did that when I was in the class, I probably would have got up and walked out, mm. you know, so it was that feedback. So that was what we did. So we had, we had something like 270 units, I think, that we reduced down to 180 units. So we had to weed out a lot of units where there were duplications. For example, if you are, you know, studying paramedicine, you're studying sport or you're studying nursing, you um, will probably be doing anatomy and physiology. The body doesn't change much. So why aren't students, why isn't there only one subject on anatomy and physiology that we can contextualize in the learning management system to meet the needs of particular discipline groups? So, so there was a lot of rationalization of units and we ended up with 160 units, I think was what we had, the final number, which was much easier to manage. And in the first year college, there were no discipline areas, there were no college, there were no separate silos. They all worked together in the design and development of the units, which created that really rich interdisciplinary conversation about different ways of knowing and different ways of teaching. So we, we started that, I think it was in August, we started our design process and it was literally a production line. 
we were fortunate to have a, a space within the university called the Hive. And we had, we had created this space called the Hive because we wanted there to be up for learning and teaching because we wanted to engender this sense of buzzing and, you know, sharing and making, making honey and, you know, that sort of thing. So it was somewhere where you could drop in. We always had coffee and chocolate on tap. And so academics tended to congregate there and talk to each other. So we ran everything through the Hive. Uh, in started in August and we delivered our first units in February the following year. So literally within five months, we, we um, were up and running with the block. So I think there was a lot of angst. There was a lot of, uh, oh my God, what have we done? Will students come? Um, and a lot of mis trying to communicate what it actually was to say careers teachers and to other people, you know, through recruitment of our students. But once we got going, it just didn't stop. I'm sorry, wow. blabbing on here about it. Oh my gosh. No, I get really excited about it because I think we've done a great job and I think the students love it. So well, I'm not blabbing on. This is, <laughs> this, yeah, just, uh, we're going to stay right on this. I want to keep on going on drilling. Really a couple of specific questions around uh, those design teams that you created. So the learning designer, the academic, you had a librarian, you had students effectively doing this co-design together um, in at an incredible pace to go from those 207 units down to 180 in five months for that launch. Can you talk to me about uh, one, how many of those teams were there working together? Um, and also what were some of the, the challenges that came up at that time? Because presumably there were some people who maybe wanted to block this or yeah, what, what did you do to overcome some of those blockers? Okay. Um, initially, we started off with five design teams and we set up a process that was sort of a quality cycle, which included scanning. So scanning what existed before in the unit, you know, what, what were the pass rates, what did the students say in their feedback, how engaging was the content. Uh, so we gathered all of that data, sat down with the, the team of academics or a group of academics who were going to be involved in the design and analyzed the content that was there. The second stage was the design. Now design is a, um, it needs to be active, it needs to be engaging and we made it very uh, dynamic. So we, we set up a design board and it was very much everybody standing up using lots of sticky notes unpacking what currently exists and say, okay, here's your assessment. How could we change that? How could we chunk it across four weeks? We can't give students big 3000 word essays to have submitted by the end of it without having, because one of the things that we know um, impacts student learning is feedback, regular, often, regular feedback given often. That mm -hmm. is students can learn from what they've done in the previous assessments. We wanted to do things like chunking assessment. So the design process was very much about an interactive, let's talk about what we're going to do before class, what we're going to do during class, and what we're going to do after class, and how can we keep students engaged in the content with the academic and with each other. So at the end of that process, we had a design board, which was the blueprint for the unit. The third stage was develop. And that was where we developed the resources and the artifacts to put into the learning spaces, which were, you know, what was going to happen in the classroom? What were the things that were going to happen online in the extended classroom? So the learning management system, essentially. And rather than the tradition of, of learning management systems has been um, 
people put PDFs and documents there that students download and read. You know, that's essentially an occasional link to a, a YouTube video. That's what we were like anyway, you know, so, so in terms of what our, our current spaces look like. So what we wanted to do was have lots of quizzes, lots of interactives. Uh, we use a product called H5P, which where we can take things like um, a YouTube video and we can insert hotspots. So you're watching a video for say 20 minutes or 15 minutes and students zone or they play it fast. So you can have little pop-up questions that happen at critical points or you can have hotspots where students have to hover over and it activates another activity or a question. Uh, we could give students things like um, anatomy and physiology diagrams and ask them to drag and drop, you know, parts, match it. And then they, if they got it right, they could try again. So much more interactive practice-based learning than what was traditionally read it, remember it, and then regurgitate it into either an exam or an essay or something like that. So the students were learning how to learn and practicing their learning and therefore integrating, I think, a lot of what the key concepts or the threshold learning concepts were. So the development process was the academic had to go off and write individual lesson plans for every session. Because remember, it's really important that we maintain a standard. If you have a group of 200 students in nursing, for example, being taught in classes of 25, that's eight classes that have to be taught. Sometimes we, you know, we staggered the blocks, but if that was a critical unit that was a precursor for something else, mm -hmm. then we had to have eight academics, mostly sessional staff, teaching that same unit in exactly the same way. So therefore, so therefore there was a need to have a, almost a templated approach, but saying to academics, we need a lesson plan so that somebody else who comes in to pick up this knows what to do next and knows how to pace the class and knows how to, you know, take a break, pause, check in with students, give them activities to do. Mm -hmm. Because if you have eight academics teaching it in the same way they've always taught it, you're going to get very different learning experiences. So that consistency was critical. And, and that was a key, a key part of the design process or the development process where academics actually had to capture everything that they knew about that subject and how they taught it based on the design board and put it into their lesson plan. And was that a consistency, Trish, that wasn't necessarily there in the previous model as well? Oh, absolutely. This really, yeah, this was an <laughs> opportunity to actually get more lean in the way that we're doing things and create things that are actually replicable, scalable. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There, there was very, you know, traditionally, you know, academics are, are really passionate about their subject and they, they teach and they love their students. But there's not very, you know, once they close the classroom door, there's not very much insight into what actually happens. You know, the, the output of the classroom experience for the student is their evaluation and their result from their assessment. But whilst people are collegial, it just has never really been a transparent process. And I think the culture that was established in the first year college by the Dean um, Andrew Smallridge was so collegial and collaborative that it created a safe environment for people to to try new things and to practice and to fail, you know, and learn from that and test out their ideas with academics, maybe in a different discipline. So, so we had where, where the first year college is located, we had, um, you know, mathematicians sitting next door to sports scientists, sitting next door to arts uh, academics. So, so there was a much more, uh, a richer corridor conversation probably <laughs> resulted rather than people being in their silos of disciplines talking just about their own particular area. Yeah. 
anyways, so that was the develop. So that there was a five stage process, scan, design, develop, deliver and review. So when we developed all of the resources uh, and our students and staff and learning designers uploaded them and created wonderful videos and interactives to support the, the content and the theoretical knowledge that the academics brought to it, um, the next stage was deliver. Now, if you've been used to lecturing for a one hour lecture, some lectures are really engaging and do fabulous lectures and the lecture still has its place. But to then ask someone who's got a background in lecturing to go into a class of 25 to 30 students and spend three hours with them, lecturing is not really a good strategy. So we needed to be, become more facilitators, facilitators that would enable students to engage with each other and to promote inquiry-based learning rather than what I call deliverology. You know, so, so rather than the academic delivering to the students, the students are engaged in the questions and what are the key concepts. So, so that some people are naturally do that anyway, but there was um, a lot of uh, professional learning provided to support academics to, you know, mm. what can you do in the classroom? What are some of the ideas you have? How can we best support you to do that? Um, and to get them to use the extended classroom actively in the, in the classroom. So rather than the learning management system is somewhere where the student goes to before they come to class or when they leave class, when students come in, the vast majority of them have got these devices. You know, they've got portable mobile devices or laptops. So asking students to log into the extended classroom, the learning management space, and look at what the activities are, give a little bit of content, then get students to work in groups to do, you know, activities together. We in the process of doing that, we also had a big building project where we repurposed a lot of our classrooms and made them very collaborative learning spaces. So rather than rows of desks facing the front, we had uh, desks with six students sitting around and each desk has or each table had a, a, a video screen, you know, that could be controlled from the front or from the students devices themselves. Mm -hmm. So, so we depended a lot more, the assessment change to things like presentations, debates, um, discussions, uh, demonstrations. So traditionally where you might have asked a student to write an essay, and I'm going back to my original career as a nurse, I've never ever when I practice yeah. as a nurse written an essay. However, I have had to develop resources for families and patients. So it might be something that's a multimedia resource or a brochure or, you know, explaining something. So there's ways to get students to continue to write, but they also have to think about what's it going to be like when I finish my qualification and I go into the world of work. Because the vast majority of students who come to VU come there to get a job. So I would say 70, 80% of our students come in, get a qualification and go to work. Mm -hmm. A lot of them do do postgraduate study, but, you know, so, so we need to equip our students for how do you engage in the world of work when you graduate. So therefore, one of the key, the key um, uh, skills you need in the workplace is working in teams, working in teams and collaborating. So... While students traditionally hate group work because it is usually so badly managed because there's always so someone who's, you know, hanging someone back slacking not, off. Doing, yeah. not doing <laughs> their share and someone has yeah. to do all the work because they want to keep their grades up. So we made sure that we actually structured group work in a way where students were expected to engage and students had to give feedback to each other on what they were doing. Mm. So, so that was the delivery part. So the delivery was what happens in the classroom and we're still working on that. And then I the just want to say as well that 
Trish, I think you're, um, like what, there's so many parallels in, and it's so timely that we're actually having this conversation now. Of course, we didn't know, you know, when we booked this in a couple of months ago, that this <laughs> is actually what would be going on. But I'm just thinking, you know, my mind is exploding at the moment of, of all the people and all the organisations that are currently trying to transition you know, existing learning programs that have been face-to-face -face into this new environment and even just different ways of working. It makes perfect sense that for your team, this has just felt quite smooth because it is yeah. like you you almost created something that, you know, is is ready for the world that we now exist in. Yeah, today. yeah it's, 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 been, it's, been, it's been amazing, that outcome. And, and actually, last Sunday afternoon, I had a, a, an email from a colleague in another university saying, we're thinking of going to the block next week. Can you give me some tips? <laughs> Seriously. And I go, really? <laughs> so I it's mean, not a matter of flicking a switch and you switch yeah. on the block. It's something, yeah. Yeah. No, fantastic. Oh, we'll, get, we'll get back to that, though. So you were on delivery and delivery. then the final... And the final stage review. is review. Yeah. And review. The review phase is where we look at, okay, what were the student success rates? What were the results? And, you know, none of us expected the success that came with the initial set of results. Students really uh, achieved. They, they were successful in their assessment and in their learning. Um, but we took, we had a look at those results. We had a look at the student feedback. Mm -hmm. We also reviewed the space that they had created and said, what would you like to change with it? So this is a, a cyclical process. So the review is what worked well? What would you like to change for the next block? Because we certainly didn't get it perfect for every block going forward. Mm -hmm. And there were those people, when you talk about the challenges, there were those people who, um, you know, had the sense, no, I want to do it this way. And no, we must have an exam, you know, so they wanted mm. to hold on to some of the traditional ways of doing things. We're going, yeah, okay, you're the key academic, you're the expert, but let's, you know, let's see how it goes. So then whenever they came back, they said, oh, that didn't work. I had so much marking to do. And, you know, the students gave me really bad feedback. So therefore, there's more of a motivation for the key academic to want to change next time we do that block. Because remember, blocks are being offered right throughout the year. It's not one subject at a time and then you move on to the next one. You know, you can pick up a subject in block in semester one, block one. Other students can pick that up in semester two, block one. Mm -hmm. So if you fail in semester one, block one, you can pick it up again quite easily, even the next block. Mm. Whereas other students in other universities have to either wait to the next semester or the next year to repeat the subject. You know, so there are things like that that were... were um, we picked up on so that's essentially the, the process that we used and we've continued to do that now that we've moved into second and third year and i think we've probably got about uh i think it's probably 90 units left to block because we did it in second year we've done it in third year and some degrees have four years uh, of study so we're now at the end of this year we have blocked all of undergraduate um, qualifications from wow. the university and staying on that delivery, so you, um, after delivery, you looked at review. So obviously you want to, it's going to take, what well, would have taken 12 months to get some of those early metrics in. You've had things like, you know, lower failure rates, um, better retention I've seen across the university. What's been the best result that you have seen through all of this? So what was the, the measure of success when you began? The measure of success um, for students was that students, especially in first year, built confidence. They got their first unit and, and very often students drop out 
in about week six. You know, they come in, they have the uni experience, they love it, they meet mates, and then all of the assessments arrive at the one time, maybe, you know, week three, four. And that's when students get overwhelmed. Oh, I've got four different subjects, all with due dates at the same time. And that could be four essays. Now, students <clears throat> did assessments in, so it was four weeks and we divide them into sessions. So we generally try and encourage academics to have at least an assessment before session three, which is in week one. That might just be a small piece that they are, you know, an introduction to something or um, a, a question that they want to investigate or a, a small quiz that they have to do. Now, students get that sense that they are succeeding early on. And then they get to the end of the four weeks and they've man it, it, it's intense, it's, it's not easy. But because students are only focusing on that one thing, they tend to be more committed. And because they've made friends in a small class, they can reach out and talk to other people and get to know those students. Um, so when students got through to week four, one of the other big achievements that we have is that we make sure that students have got all work marked and they have their final grade for that unit before they start their next block the following Monday. So we finish the block on the Thursday of week four. And because so much of our assessment is automated, yes. we actually can do a whole lot of automatic grading with drop boxes, rubrics, all of that. Results are entered. We have final frantic Friday, which is when everybody gathers in the hive. What well, is it this first year experience? And we process the results. So they get moderated, they get processed. And students then, before they start their next block, know what their result is. Mm. Now that gives them the sense of confidence. I can do this. I've got one unit at university. Um, but what's happening to some of their mates who are actually attending other universities are suddenly panicking with yeah. this, you know, deluge of assessment that's coming at them. And our students are feeling a bit smug going, well, I've actually passed a whole unit already and I'm just moving into my next one. So there was that sense from students that we were getting feedback on that they liked that, you know. And, and again, I, it's back to the real world. I mean, it's yeah. when you talk about it like this, it's it almost seems mad that <laughs> that we've ever done it any other way you know you yes. think about how un, unlike the real world actual university is and if you're ill for say the last three months of a term that can completely destroy an entire year's work or even on the day of a major exam that takes three to four hours because presumably even before that sort of frantic Friday students would have a fair idea of how they're tracking anyway so there'd be very little surprise that's at exactly the end right. whether they're going to get through or not get through are they I mean that's exactly yeah. right and you know we have had criticisms of people who've said things like oh, students need to be able to multitask. The real world requires them to multitask. Mm. And I go, our no. students are already multitasking. Mm. They've got families, they've got jobs. You know, students that don't come and sort of live at university and have a great life like we used to in the olden days, yeah. students are juggling many things in their life. So to be able to focus on study at one unit at a time has worked for the vast majority of them. Yeah. But the other thing is that we, we find that it wasn't just those students who were non-traditional students who did really well. We have a lot of students who come to VU with high ATARs and they've come because they want to be close to their home. They want to study in the West. Mm -hmm. So some of those students who had high ATARs, they also succeeded. So it wasn't just, so by the end of first year, it was level. We had this sense that all students were at the level that they needed to be at and above that, in fact. Mm. so that was that was a bonus we tend to think oh that's just for those students who struggle with university it's not mm. the, the results have been consistent across the board for all students fantastic I really want to stay on uh, so 
a lot of the people who are listening to this would be individuals that are trying to uh, either kick off some kind of innovation initiative, they're, they're the entrepreneur type themselves, so they are trying to, to lead projects not unlike this or to create some kind of big change, especially now. There's going to be a lot more people who, you know, are really trying to drive this. And one of the biggest challenges definitely, you know, our community come up against is just the people trying to block this level of change again. So you've mentioned a couple of people, so, you know, academics pushing back a little bit on how some of that content's delivered and some of the group that were within one of those five design teams. Is there, was there anyone else, you know, not specific names, but thinking, you know, on a more bureaucratic level where you were getting some of that pushback and did people want to see the proof? Because even though five months, this is a lot in this question, but the, the question is five months feels like a short amount of time, um, but it's still a long time until you can show and then another 12 months until you can really show the results of, of what you've created. So love to understand how maybe you overcame or communicated the value before you had it. Okay. I think that, as I mentioned before, it was it was at a particular time and for you. So we mm. had buy-in from yeah. every level at the top. And in fact, um, the Vice Chancellor himself, Peter Dawkins, he taught block. So, and Tim Dodds came in as a, as a guest speaker and worked with some of the students. So, so for a vice chancellor to come into a classroom and to teach is, is really quite unique. Yeah. And he got a really good understanding of how it works and what some of the issues were confronting our students. Um, we also had each of the design teams had a critical friend at the executive level. Yeah. So, you know, they were, so, so when we got to the review part or the um, after development, we had a peer review. Every unit was peer reviewed and people were invited to a, a public display. This is, this is this unit and this is what we've changed and this is what we're going to do. Mm. So we find the chief financial officer was coming and sitting in on uh, peer reviews of units about poetry, for example. And we had difficulty getting him out of the room because he loved it so much he wanted to enroll in the unit. So that was that sent a really clear message. You know, it, it was, we're all in this together. We have to actually do this. So when some of the, you know, the, the professional staff, the students, the academics saw our um, executive colleagues coming in and showing interest in what we were doing, it all it, it gave them confidence to continue and thought we're on we're on the track here we're doing something mm. right and but it also gave senior executives a really good insight as to what the core business of the university is which is learning and teaching you know we do research yeah. as well but learning and teaching is the vast majority of the activity that happens and um, with our students mm. fantastic so i think it'll be amazing just to uh, wrap it up there with a final question uh, as, as well for you, Trish. Do you, uh, what other sort of trends are you seeing in education or are you keeping your eyes open for now in VU, now that you've been, I guess, at the cutting edge of something like this? We may see other organisations consider moving themselves to the block model based on your success. Is there any... <laughs> Uh, no, I've had the same thing, kids in the background. Um, yeah, what what trends, What are, are there any other trends that you're seeing in education at the moment people should keep an eye out for or that you'd like to see? What change would you like to bring about? I think um, digital technology um, 
presents great opportunities mm. um, across a range of, of platforms and levels within universities. One of the things that we did earlier on was um, introduce things like 3D printing, for example. So we have uh, an osteopathy course um, who wanted to use um, 3D printed bones and get students to assemble them and to label them and to use things like blue tack and, and uh, rubber bands to highlight how a hand is made up. That was a really successful um, activity that we did. And once other academics got to see that you can do that, then we had academics from uh, psychology wanting to 3D print the brain. So we had 3D printed brain puzzles that students would have to assemble and label. And there's, it becomes more kinesthetic. It means that students actually you know, engage with it and touch things in a way that's different. But I think that artificial intelligence and um, machine learning are two other areas that are really impacting. Um, on, on higher education in particular. So, and things like, um, uh, um, oh, it's fallen out of my head now. <laughs> Just take a breath on that one. Um, gamification, sorry. Yes, right. So, yep. make, learning should be fun. That's mm. always been the premise. And that's what we've done and what we're, we're in developing the block is that learning should be fun for students. If there's a challenge in that learning and it's gamified, so students have to either compete with each other or compete with themselves or compete with the machine, yeah. they're likely to be more engaged in it. So, so we're in trying to introduce much more gamification into what we're doing in our blocks. But you've got to upskill academics to be able to facilitate that and to be mm. able to use it. So we're taking it slowly in that, you know, you can only implement so much change at a time. Yeah. <laughs> but, but of course, this... The, the environment in which we find ourselves at the moment has fast-tracked a lot yeah. of that. Mm. All of those naysayers who are saying, I can't teach online, I don't believe it, it's this, mm. you know, not a, a valuable experience, are now having to get up to speed and are finding that students actually quite like this and yeah. that there are ways of engaging students online that, that are, it's not going to go away when we revert to normal, if we ever do revert to normal. Mm. And I mean, students' expectations of how technology is being used is changing as well, presumably. So some of that change would be student-led, I would imagine you're seeing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And student partnerships. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the most critical thing that we have done in our development work with the block has been involving students. So and I've had a number of students who we've spoken at conferences in partnership where they've talked about how they contributed to it and what their role has been. So... That's fantastic. Have you got any examples of that that you could share with us about how students have got involved in bringing more technology uh, in? Yes, well, we have, because our students and staff are part of the design team, yeah. so they are actually designing artifacts and resources for academics. Mm. So I have two students, one who is Alex, who's studying um, education, and Jody, who's studying psychology, and they both presented at um, the uh, TEXA conference earlier this year, and it was really well received. And mm. I was, I'm standing there like a little proud mama duck, you know, I didn't have to <laughs> give them any support. They did the presentation. We were there talking about our process of how we actually did it. Yeah. Um, and then it's been really good because we have 
should say this in the podcast, we do have some secret shoppers, which is really good to talk to our students and staff who are currently studying and telling us what their experience is like in the classroom with some academics who perhaps have not been as enthusiastic about the technology as others have. Yeah. They're jumping up to help the academic in the class going, I know how this works, let me show, let me show you. So, so it's, there's been much more of a, a collaborative partnership approach to learning yeah. design and engaging um, both mm. students and academics in learning yeah because we're all learning absolutely the teaching learning uh, diet anymore it's very much about we're learning together i mean it sounds like you're still in that review process now and you're still challenging yourselves and still trying to see where the gaps are and where where this thing can get better so yeah i've I've no doubt that vicuni is going to continue to be streaks ahead it's really it's really a an incredible story and like we said at the top this is an australian first so congratulations trish on this And thank you so much for sharing your insights and spending some time with us today. Um, I'm no doubt that, you know, our community are going to get an enormous amount of value, particularly within the education sector. But I think there's so many parallels to be drawn, as we said, across the board, especially in the time that we are in now. It's really not, it's not a time to sit still. Um, Yeah, and stick with the way that things have been. So Thank you again, and yeah, we look forward to staying in touch. Okay, it's been a pleasure. Take care. care. See you. Thanks, Trish. Bye. Bye.